Hello, I'm Craig Esther. I'm Alexis Grace Clark. And I'm Mauricio Dominguez. And this is Building, Building a Stage, Stage Podcast by Break the Chain Theatre Company. Ooh, that's sexy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Building a Stage. Yeah, it's been a little while because we just we got out of the mode of making a show. We finished the show a month ago. We finished the show a month ago. <laughs> it does not feel like it's been that long. Right? You all haven't heard from us in a while, so we're going to sort of check back in. We're going to give you the actual full-on deep dive like we sort of talked about. We did like a cursory glance at, at R&J, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later and then what we've got uh, coming up. For the future of mm-hmm. Break the Chain Theater Company. So um, let's just check in real quick, everybody. I'm just going to kind of go around. They can't see the arrangement that we're sitting in. So I'm just going to go to Alexis first. How are you doing? Life has a habit of just kicking you when you're down. True. Very true. Just super busy, but not in like things that I want to be busy in. Mm-hmm. So that's what sucks. Yeah. But yeah, and then starting marketing for our next show, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we said it was going to be low stress? And it still will be. Get ready, friends. This is going to be a lucid episode. We're just we're going to go places. There are stories that are going to get told. It's going to be wild. Maurizio, how are you doing? You're a busy bee. Yeah, you are. Been a busy. Yeah, been a very busy couple of weeks. In addition to just you know just general nine to five work stuff, I decided to take it upon myself to direct and produce a short film. Yeah, yeah. you did. And it's been a really long process. And a, a lot of learning experience, you know, just learning what are all of like the, the basics, the procedures, the requirements that you need mm-hmm. to have in place before launching a production. So it's, it's been a lot, mm-hmm. but we are slowly started reaching out to other people and building a team. And so now we are going into a production tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. that's exciting. So it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride the next, the next few weeks. But I think ultimately at the end, you know, I'm very excited to, to be able to show everybody what we've been, we've been working on. I'm really excited to see it really. And just from hearing you talk about it mm-hmm. and like all, it, when somebody's really passionate about something they're making, you just, you know, that it's, you're going to, you're going to feel it when mm-hmm. you, when you watch it. And I'm just, I'm really excited for you. So really excited. Proud of you. Thank you. And I'm also watching you every step because I'm like, I want to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that's the other thing too, because I feel like I definitely have learned a lot that I think would be really helpful to share with others who are wanting to mm-hmm. take on a project like this, you know? Because I, I think I made the mistake of just getting really excited and just kind of rushing into it. Like, yeah, let's do all of this. Yeah, you don't know any people who've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Not like we have a podcast about it or anything. <laughs> At the same time, looking forward to bringing back the Drunk Shakespeare Oh my gosh, it's going to be so in exciting. Person. In person. <laughs> Woo! Which that's that's something new that we haven't done before. So. Yeah, taking that whole thing. And I mean that that's going to be a podcast episode within itself. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Talking obviously. about the logistics of doing that, doing it safely, and um, yeah. Hey, Craig, what are you up to? <laughs> I am in a place where like very lots of nice things are happening, but I'm also exhausted. <laughs> but I don't. I try not to I try not to complain about it because it feels like yeah, you get to direct shows that you want to direct <laughs> and you get to do. So, yeah. So um, I guess we can talk about this and we'll talk about it more later. But also during the process of making R&J, I was applying to grad school. Yep, sure was. Um, to graduate school to study acting. And I and I got in. <laughs> um, yeah, but that did. was a crazy nerve wracking process. And I'm starting uh, this fall. I am. Um, 
in the mode of getting prepared for that, which involves leaving this state and prepping to like be in another state for two years and um, hopefully spending a lot of that time doing a lot of things that will help make me better at coming back and running this company and also just having you know better career, better mm-hmm. life, better um, stuff. But that's all a crazy nerve wracking thing to do while also having three shows coming up. That I'm gonna, that I'm going to be directing. So um, I'm uh, directing a production right now called Monsters of the American Cinema at the Penny Seats Theater. Where's Penny Seats Theater for people who don't know? It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We'll be at the Stone Chalet in the Bed and Breakfast, which has a beautiful theater space within it. And the show runs until April 22nd, the night that we're doing Drunk Shakespeare. Ayo. But I don't mm. have to be there because, unlike when we did R and J, it's a show where I just I direct it. And I leave. So you mean you're like an actual director? Yeah. And other people handle all of the other stuff, which is like the next few shows like this that I'm doing are like this, right? I'm just, I'm sending people like, hey, this is the cutting of the script and here's the idea. And then I just go get to do what I want to do. And then I get to bounce out, which is which is very nice. Which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's like what a standard contract for a director is. Sure. is usually you do all the prep work, you do your rehearsals. And then once opening night hits... You're pretty much done. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah, so I'm excited about that show. Um, I'm excited. We can talk about it. It's going to come up soon, but Maurizio's going to be in the next show after that that I'm directing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the show after the next show. All right, because we um, have the one other one in May. Yes, uh, that will be going up in July. Love's Labor's Lost uh, at Shakespeare Royal Oak, which will be in Star J.C. Park. Um, and Maurizio is one of the male leads of the show. And yeah, I'm he really, is. really excited. He gave, it a, he gave an amazing, wonderful audition. And I was really, re- I was really proud. You know, when you bring your friends into a room for something like that, you want to, A, not show favoritism. You want to be fair to all the other actors in the room. But, B, you also want to make sure that um, you're not playing your relationship as a card and so the fact that Maurizio came in and clearly had like read and studied the sides and clearly was like prepared um, and putting you on stage with different combinations of people it just kept working so I'm like I'm just really excited that like it it was undeniable it wasn't like I'm just casting my friend it was like my friend did a really good job and I'm really excited excited to see you be a part of this um, this ensemble this summer thank you yeah yeah got that and I got the comedy of errors which is going to be starting in mid-May yeah, mid-May. So it's so the ball is rolling down the hill now, and I'm I'm tired but excited. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So that's wow, three shows back to back. Really four. Really four, counting R and J, and then I guess counting Drunk Shakespeare. I was I'm counting Drunk Shakespeare. Director of oh, Drunk wow. Shakespeare. Five. So five. five. Yes, and it's a show that's easier to cut. Yes. Than something like Love's Labor's Lost, which has um, Shakespeare liked his puns. He liked his um, rambling on the same idea for long periods of time for the joke because. Unlike um, unlike us now, he had the groundlings and then he had the people way up high at the globe. He had these three different levels of people to play to. So it'd be like, here's the joke for the people on the ground. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the middle and then one big last time for the people at the top. Well, especially too, Shakespearean audiences came and went yes. because the shows were so long. Like pretty much anyone who's seen a, a, a modern Shakespeare show in a modern age, you've never seen the entire thing. Nope. Those used to run for like four to five hours. They really did, which is hilarious because actually the opening of Romeo and Juliet says the two hours traffic of our stage. Mm -hmm. And in that case, they were talking so fast (laughs) that that whatever would have been like a three and a half to four hour show, they somehow just like clipped it Mm -hmm. in that much time, which is insane to find out so yeah so so when we cut Shakespeare plays today I guess which will lead us into our mm-hmm. into our next uh, conversation but when you cut Shakespeare plays today you're finding out that 
you know, a lot of times characters will run into a room and say, hello, I am so-and-so. Or they'll say, so-and-so, you're coming. It's because Shakespeare was not thinking about economy of character. He was not thinking about that. So if you read something like Henry V, there's literally new characters in almost every scene Mm -hmm. of the play. You've never met them before. No one's talked about them. And it's because the company was only so many actors in the Lord Chamberlain's Men. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would literally go off change one costume piece and come on and say hello I'm this person <laughs> and then the play would keep going yep. you know um, so there's stuff like that that like you don't have to you can make some things the same character mm-hmm. or it's like you don't have to tell the joke four times because the audience isn't running in and out of the room exactly yeah. and you know there's like so many different places in all Shakespeare shows where there's literally like someone coming on let me summarize everything that's just happened for you in case you haven't been here yet and Obviously, when you're just sitting in for one thing, you can just cut that out. We don't need that. And also, too, there's some stuff, because it was in the 1500s, that is just, we don't want to say it no more. So we're going to cut that, too. Yeah, there's a run in Love's Labor's Lost where it's a joke about... The, the men are talking about the women that they've fallen in love with and one of them makes a joke about something like is she like an Ethiopian or something mm-hmm. like that and then it goes on with a bunch of black jokes Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes on for like two pages <laughs> it's not exactly. like a short little thing and I was like well no one can see what I'm doing I'm doing the action of like taking it and forcibly just ripping it out of the play because it, you, you don't need it for the story they just would have they just would have thought it was funny back then because they didn't really have exposure to those people except for like you know the very the few people who would like cross over into we don't need the whole the whole history lesson but Othello's based on a merch on like a merchant who literally came from like Africa or from the Middle mm-hmm. East somewhere and everyone was in awe of this dude and Shakespeare was like I'm gonna write a play about that guy and that's where we got Othello you got me thinking about, I mean, I wanted to just ask a question. Oh, yeah, please. When you mentioned about figuring out what to cut or what to incorporate for, you know, from a Shakespeare show, getting to see the RNJ project and seeing the creative process from start to finish, that I felt that the show did a wonderful job of. It was interweaving the stories from the of the characters, the experiences that the characters from the Shakespeare, from RNJ, from Romeo and Juliet were experiencing with experiences from the lives of the 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 teenagers that who were portraying those characters on stage and so i guess you know what i was really curious about is how was that process of choosing which parts of romeo and juliet to incorporate into the show or to cut yeah and i have that for just like shakespeare stuff in general because i love shakespeare but i can't begin to fathom cutting stuff sure sure the first place that I start with is, um, I mean, you just read it a million times and read the whole thing. I try to do it from the first folio. So for people who don't know what the first folio is, the first folio is the first like written collected works of Shakespeare. So like there's no printing press. There's no anything like that. So and I mean, the, and this folio wasn't collected until after he died. Yeah, it was collected by his lead actor mm-hmm. and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I start with that edition, which has pretty much what is supposed to be everything. There's other editions that we call like the quartos and the things like that. In Hamlet, there's one that's called the bad quarto because I, I think it's like the third or fourth one. I, yeah. I'm not sure. But uh, Hamlet says to be or not to be. That's the point. Because every director of Shakespeare is an editor of Shakespeare at this point. Because you have to decide for yourself, what is this show to me? What's this show about through my lens? 
and then hopefully, if you're doing it well, you are in line with what the play is. Mm -hmm. So that when you start cutting things, you're not cutting things because they don't fit your idea. You're cutting them because maybe they're extraneous. Um, and that's what the first pass always is. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what lines are there? What text is there that um, is just not needed for the story? And in the case of something like Romeo and Juliet, it's actually pretty tight. Mm -hmm. It's pretty well structured. Well, Shakespeare has a few plays that are like that are some of the even still they're like in their quote unquote bloated state are like some of the best structured pieces. Yeah. Like I mean, Julius Caesar is an amazing like revolutionary structure for that time period. But for our, the R and J project, I always sort of knew once we landed on the concept of this is going to be like young people performing Romeo and Juliet in a church, sort of for their community. Once we hit on that idea. I knew that it was gonna be about communication between mm -hmm. generations, which Romeo and Juliet is largely about, the fact that like these two kids fall in love, and one of the reasons that they that their lives fall apart is that they can't talk to their parents about it, mm -hmm. right? Juliet's parents basically like shut her out after she says, I don't wanna marry Paris, and, uh, and she can't tell them why. And so she's like, okay, then I must have to kill myself. Right, and they're like kids' kids. Like, like kids Juliet kids. is actually canonically 13. 13, yes. Her birthday is literally like, would have been two weeks after the play if she yeah. had lived. Like, it's like that. So because they're not able to share that stuff with those figures, um, I really wanted to, as I was starting to write, highlight those moments, highlight those things. It's also a story about love and hate. Mm -hmm. um, and so where is there more love and hate than in an ensemble of actors trying to put a thing together with their director? And so you have everybody's... <laughs> Alexis is making a face because they're stories. Um, but... So you have all those different sort of tensions. And so when you're doing it as a storyteller, you have to make sure the audience has a certain amount of information about the kids as the characters, but you also have to see a certain amount of the show in order to understand why things are happening in people's lives. So for the RNJ project as a new play, it really, the characters had to lead it. And once I knew kind of what, the, what journey the characters were on, and the characters are sort of, uh, sort of linked to what happens in Romeo and Juliet, but not 100% because they're just different uh, people. But once I had that link of who are these people and what's their journey, then I could figure out what from Romeo and Juliet needed to go in there to make it happen. General cutting of a play, it's just like, what's not necessary? How long is it supposed to be? And um, what's the through line? What is this thing about? And then everything that stays is everything that serves that idea. And a little tidbit too, I don't know if your professors in college told mm -hmm. you this, but um, when I was studying in college, I always said that one page of Shakespearean text is roughly two to three minutes on stage. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that's also just a little tidbit to take away. If anyone does want to actually do anything with Shakespeare and trying to cut, just keep in mind that, like, it takes a minute to get through this. It does. Like, plan on every single page being three minutes yeah. minimum. Yeah. Depending on, you know, the talent of your actors and the seniority of your actors, how long they've been doing so this sort of thing. The other rule is, and I see directors break this rule all the time, and it's why a lot of productions end up not working, is because they cut things because they don't understand them. Yeah. You know, you can't cut things because you don't understand them. You have to, you have to understand the entire play as a play without any cuts before you go in and cut things. Because if you don't, you're going to take away something that's vital. You're going to make a mistake like... You know, the men in Shakespeare's plays typically talk a lot. Yeah. So when people cut them, they'll cut from the men, but the men also carry a lot of the story. So you can't really cut the men down. So who gets cut? The women. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you have to like, so for me, whenever I cut Shakespeare now, I'm like, I am always trying to preserve the women's 
uh, lines. I will cut a million things from Benedict so Beatrice gets to talk. <laughs> you know, um, again, not stuff that'll like take away from the story, but you, that's the other thing that you have to have to think about as well. Yeah. And it's not even just that too, but um, not like the words themselves, because obviously old Elizabethan is very hard for some people to just naturally understand. But also the punctuation, yes, because the punctuation is the stage directions. Yeah, because in all original Shakespeare text, there was no stage directions. Yes, yeah. except for. Um, Winter's Tale. Exit pursued by a bear. Yeah. That one that one was actually real. That uh-huh. was one of the few things because they were like, We need a bear prop pretty much. Yeah, I mean it says, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. That's Juliet's cue to enter. <laughs> That's, yeah. It doesn't say Juliet comes on. It just says, I see somebody. Oh, it's Juliet. Like for our specific situation with the RNJ project, we also have the stri- the structure that there's five actors. Yes. So, like, a play where there's, like, new characters in almost every other scene. (laughs) And then it kind of tightens. But when you only have five actors, you also have to consider what are what we call the tracks Mm -hmm. through the show of, like, this person's going to be in this scene, this scene, this scene, this scene. Okay, so they can't be another character because in this scene they're this character. Um, And I'm having the same issue with um, the comedy of errors, which I'm cutting. to, uh, Which I finished cutting, but I'm going to go back and make some changes to before rehearsals start. Because in that play, the way it's structured... um, you sort of introduce characters, introduce characters, introduce characters, and then the snowball rolls down the hill, and almost all the characters are in the final scene. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody doubled, then they might be one person on the first page of that scene, and then on the fifth page of that scene, they're a different character. <laughs> and so you have to figure out what's the feasible way um, to make this happen. So that was also another consideration in like what we had to hack away out of Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. because you had to um, make sure that it was... The show's a marathon for all five actors. Oh, like, yeah. It just is. And our actors, you know, I mean, they made it through. Whew. It was hard, but they made it But they made it through. But you got to make sure that you're not putting somebody in except for, like, maybe poor Faith, who's playing Juliet and playing Benvolio and then playing her character, China. I didn't realize until we start, put everything up on his feet that, like, sh- she became the second act of the show. Yeah. That she was driving the entire second act because there was just – there was no place for any stoppage for that – for that track. So then you know for future productions, any actor who does that, that's kind of the hardest track in the show. Yeah, now we know. Now we know. <laughs> really, you know, I, I thought worked really well, though in the way that you that you cut it and that you assigned the tracks is that even, you know, for someone who, you know, is not as familiar, I mean, obviously like to some extent I feel like we've we've all even myself, like I, I'm familiar with Romeo and Juliet and at least the story or like the the, the key players, yeah. the key characters. Sure. Yeah. But even not fully having all of the information of like what the relationships between the characters were like there was never any doubt for me watching the show of who the person on stage was even if i didn't know exactly like okay this is romeo's father or this is juliet's mother Mm -hmm. juliet's father i think because of the choices that you and, and alexis i mean that you made I'm saying because we used a lot of your 90% of the wardrobe came from Alexis. Mm-hmm. So we know just Alexis has a lot of clothes. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't look at my closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Again, we're in my closet slash office slash my cat's room. <laughs> yes. But yeah, and once you've cut it, you've decided that the play is this. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very specific about what those relationships are. So one of the sort of cheat codes I have, I have is that I spent two years before the show doing Romeo and Juliet on tour mm-hmm. with the Michigan Shakespeare Festival, and um, which I'm now doing again, <laughs> which is like, it's really fun. 
but Craig is tired. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm playing Tybalt now, which is hilarious. That and is so, It's so much fun. So I had that sort of inside track on it because I... One of the things about just being a being a working actor, being a being an actor touring around with stuff, is that people forget that we live inside plays, mm-hmm. and it's very different than being an academic, where you where you. And again, that's nothing against anybody who who's an academic who wants to study it that way. But when you live inside these plays, the relationships with the characters are so different than if you're just like reading it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, like I had played Lord Capulet, I had played um, Lord Montague. Um, I had never played the prince or anybody else, but I got to sit and listen to this play like hundreds of times, right? <laughs> hundreds of times. And so um, it was already a play I loved before that, but that love just increased so much just having to like just sit there and be like in the room with it all the time. So by the time we got to the show, um, I had I had in my head kind of who all these people were. And the hard thing, honestly, about this was making sure that Asking myself, am I making this choice because this company I did this with for so long did it that way, or because it was my genuine thought mm. about what the relationships are? And some things are just some things. Lord Capulet, Lord Capulet's Lord Capulet, yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Like, um, and there are certain things that the nurse does. Are like that's that's just the nurse. Like it, that's just who that character is. Um, and a big, but a big part of that is also the actors. Mm-hmm. Is that we spent a lot of time in rehearsal going, how do we make this person? physically different vocally different we just we had our color scheme we did our red our blue and our purple which is um which is lots of other most a lot of companies do it that way as well but so they could have something physical that made them different every time they were somebody else which then helped when they had to then uh, strip that stuff off Mm -hmm. and then be themselves in Mm -hmm. in a sense and as you mentioned that i i think it's just like thinking back to the show i'm just like realizing oh wait a minute yeah just about every actor who was playing multiple characters like I, i'm thinking back to like for example lakita's you know couple of characters where she was playing the uh, lord capulet and then the nurse and as you as you're mentioning and just thinking oh yeah like physically those presented us and that made it easier to tell them apart like this is not the same person yeah that's what i really enjoyed about the, the show that even working within the constraints mm-hmm. you know i think you found a way to to make it all work very seamlessly so that it was clear to to the audience like even if they could even if they you know weren't able to or if weren't able to tell specifically like oh this is who this person is Mm -hmm. at the very least knowing okay this person is with the capulets Mm -hmm. or this person is with the monocues yeah one of those things comes also just from the language itself yeah is that um and this is again another thing just working with the actors is that in shakespeare's world words make the world so words make the person language makes the person and so if you just look at if you're playing multiple characters let's say you are playing like you would never do this but if you're playing if you're playing romeo and you're playing lord capulet right romeo has like oh what's that what's that line Forswear its sight, for I never saw true beauty till this night, right? It's very flowy, full of vowels. It's much more open. It's, but soft, what light through yonder? What? Whereas Lord Capulet is like, but saying, or what I have said before. Very consonant Right? My child is yet a stranger in the world. That way the text is structured 
actually gives you something different about the characters before you've done anything else. So literally, if you just lean into what the text is, your your mouth is forming different way. Your body is forming differently because you're just trusting what's there. And it also takes away a lot of the acting. Mm -hmm. If you just do the text, you don't really have to act very hard. I'm not saying Shakespeare's not hard, but I am saying that like if you really trust that and let it take you somewhere, yeah. then um, then you will actually find those differences even before anyone puts any clothes on you but i want to talk about the clothes because alexis all because you did really because i had an initial idea Mm -hmm. and um which was like we did different like colored sashes that Mm -hmm. were like red capulet blue montague purple the royal family but then you came in and you just you found this really wonderful vision of it where they felt like the modern teenagers even while they were performing in the show in a way that like my initial idea could not have Oh, well, thank you. Conceived or thought of this. So can you just talk about how, how you sort of figured those things out? Um, sure. So Craig was really gung-ho on doing the sashes, <laughs> which worked <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but the thing is, is that you have so many people playing so many characters within the same family. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of it from a perspective of someone who doesn't know Romeo and Juliet as well as we do. And I was just like, crap, they're probably going to think that they're the same person because they're wearing the same sash. So... It actually started with me is the bros scene before the dance where you have Mercutio, Benvolio, and Romeo all trying to, like, they're just trying to convince Romeo, like, let's go party. It's Mm going to be a great time. I know you're lovesick over this one chick we don't even see, but, like, (laughs) come on, let's go. Let's have some fun. And it was such, I think it came from the actors because they were so bro-y about it that I just had, like, this idea. I was like, y'all need flannels. Yes. So it kind of, all of my ideas kind of stem from that Mm because, like, I do have a lot of flannels. I love me a good flannel. Mm -hmm. So I had plenty of flannels in the right colors that were needed. Mm -hmm. And so I just started bringing them in and putting them on people. And then I was like, okay, everyone, this, this is working. Yeah. We need to, go more into this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i brought in like a sweater for nurse mm-hmm. and like juliet got a nice little cape which mm-hmm. is another yes. sweater but you know we had issues so we made it a cape and it worked mm-hmm. and so it was just kind of like keeping in mind that these kids are they're kids mm-hmm. and this is a low budget church theater so they're not gonna have like you know amazing period correct costumes by any means so what would they have in their closets well, what do I have in my closet? Because I, too, am a poor person. <laughs> That's a tweet. I, too, am a poor person. So I was just like, okay, so what? literally, what's in my closet? And, you know, I'm a person where I've been multiple different sizes. Mm-hmm. So I had clothes that kind of fit everyone. Because I also am a pack rat in that people just end up giving me clothes, either as gifts or they think I will use it for theater things. And guess what? They're freaking right. <laughs> Because so, you did. It, I, I mean, did. and it really, it just, it was such a nice, it felt like the young people were expressing themselves mm-hmm. through their costumes. Yeah, and yeah. I think it really helped separate them between their characters within their own families. And then I also made sure that, except for the nurse who has, like, this connection with Juliet as a kid, all the adults didn't have anything. Yeah. And that was actually on purpose because I was trying to highlight the kids because mm-hmm. it's really their story and it is their relationship with the adults, but it is the children's story. And that was just my opinion of it, you know, whatever. And like, luckily we had some actors that did some interesting things with the sashes. They put them on their heads yeah. or like they made a belt of them. Mm-hmm. And so 
it really was helpful that the actors were so creative with it as well because mm-hmm. then it just made it so that we didn't really have to do a lot you know the costumes didn't come in until like two days before we went on because <laughs> 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 it was just like no we got to do this so one of our actors brought in some stuff for themselves cast brought in their own mm-hmm. um like little vest thing for tibble that yeah. worked perfectly really good. but it was all a matter of telling in my opinion was telling the kids stories yes and how did that work for in the context of their Detroit characters playing these Shakespearean characters? Mm. We had to serve the Detroit characters first, yes. in my opinion. And it just it touches me so much that you, that you thought about it that hard, and I'm going to cry a little bit. But um, <laughs> it brought such a life to that that um, that just wasn't there before, you know. And it's not that people weren't doing good work or anything like that, but it just was like. Oh, there they are. Well, it was color on stage, you know, yeah. and that was helpful. It's, color is always so important to tell mm. a story. And like they had, the actors all had their base black costumes, which, and then just with the sashes, I'm like, this isn't, mm-hmm. it's not popping enough. Exactly. And that's what we were trying. We were trying to go for um, what is going to be easy for them to like feasibly move in and out of mm-hmm. as they're switching characters. And then, um, and then what's the little pop of color. It's going to make it feel unique to those characters. And again, that's just, that's you 100% finding that. But one of the things I want to add to it is, um, so if you, if you watch, uh, Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, I know I'm going, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to make sense. I don't know where uh, this is going, but so I'm really happy about movies, it. Yeah, in the first two movies, you notice that the way the students wear their Hogwarts uniforms, it's very stiff. I know it's what you're talking about. It's very precise. It's very specific. And then, um, in the third movie, which is not directed by Christopher Columbus, no offense to Christopher Columbus, I love those first two movies, I really do. But in the third movie, Alfonso Cuarón comes on as the director, and he says, "Okay, you're a teenager. Wear this how you would wear it." And if you notice, there's like the men, the, like the guys have their sleeves rolled up. Everything's different. Like the, there's less buttons and like all that kind the, of stuff. The ties are loosened. The ties are loosened. Yeah, it feels like it feels more like kids at school because he had the teenagers do what they would just do with their mm-hmm. clothes. And so things like Al playing Lena and Lady Capulet, Al found a way to like twist their sash around oh. their head so it was like a headband and a necklace at the same time and I was like that's beautiful because that feels like what that kid would do yeah right because you're just being you're just being the kid interpreting um, the thing and so that was partially one of the ideas that I was thinking about as we were working on is like how do we make it that they are yeah the so it's that... not just a sash every single time exactly exactly and then on the other side of it we also had like the technical aspect the show required and requires for anyone else who might be interested in doing it you know who you are we've talked um um, it requires a lot technically. Yes. A lot of like light, the lights have to be super clear. Sound has to be super clear. Like that, that technical world has to really come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Maritza, I want to have you just talk about like building sound and how you built, because you found a lot of really cool things that helped make the show come to life. I was actually going to say, if you wanted to talk about the lighting and our trials and tribulations. I want to hear about you first. <laughs> okay. Because of the fact that we are frequently interweaving between the Detroit characters and then the the Shakespeare characters, it just became that much more important to make that clear transition for the audience. And I mean, it it helps in a way like the language is always going to be, you know, because the moment that people stop talking in like iambic pentameter and they just go into like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Okay, we left the Shakespeare scene. But still, you know, 
wanting to make it a little bit more stylized so that it was it was cleaner so that's why we had like the, the lighting and sound had to like play such a, an important role in, mm-hmm. in kind of making that that transition and in terms of sound again i had mentioned previously i mean i um a lot of it came from artists who create sound and music and they they share it online you know for for royalty free to mm-hmm. be used in projects all of whom we credited on the on the program and yeah, we did so it required you know a lot of conversations about you know what is the mood that you are particularly going for or what do you feel would serve best to like how can we fill in this if we're if we're switching back from a really tense scene into into the into the Shakespeare show like what's something we can do with sound to like to make that transition um and it, a lot of it was trial and error you yes. know yes. because so many different you know, it's one thing you can say, well, you know, I'd like for this moment to feel calm or I'd like for this moment to feel reflective. And then there's so many different like options that you can pull that would probably um, achieve like the similar or the, the same effect. And I remember like I would bring in a few samples and we would listen to them together and you would tell me, OK, like, let me hear the other one or let's hear the other. <laughs> so that was a pretty good tell. It's like, OK, what's the other one? Like, OK, so we're not using that one. <laughs> And I want to just like in in terms of adding to that, though, the the other thing that you found really well that that was um, really nice was that you found the difference between um, Shakespeare world and modern world in terms of like there's songs that you hear at like the Capulet Ball. But then when we're at a dance later in the show, it's more it's more modern. It's more contemporary. But it's another like twist on what's what being at a ball is. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And you found ways to like Mercutio basically had a motif. A Mercutio theme, um, and but all of that was just like you bringing in stuff, and like it, it wasn't like um, you know you'll have there are sound designers who you go I need a sound here and this and they'll just go okay here's stuff, mm-hmm. but you came in like no I think this is this and I think this is that and I think and we um, and we played through the options but you had really clear opinions about stuff that you liked as well and you always if you don't like that I've got this if you don't like that I've got uh, I've got that and so you were always really bringing specific ideas that were based on what's going on in the show which sometimes people don't always do. Yeah. Uh, my next year right now, I have a really wonderful sound designer. She's doing, uh, because it's based on like monster movies, so we're like pulling things from different monster movies That's and awesome. things like that oh, yeah. going on. But it's it's more of the same thing of just like, how do you use this thematic idea to to, to um, differentiate the worlds of mm-hmm. these of these things? So I thought you did a really, really great job of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What I most enjoy and what I really have found very helpful in working with Break the Chain is because... It seems to be like the, our our recurring theme, you know, like taking on the challenge of taking an or of doing a new task, mm-hmm. you know, and initially maybe not having perhaps like the the slightest clue on how to do it. Nope. And then kind of starting from there and trying to f- figure out what steps do we do, what do we need to do, how can we go about this, and you get to the point where once you've achieved it, I go, oh, I can. I can do sound design for a show now, you know. We or, can program QLab. We now. can program QLab. <laughs> and so that's what I what I what I have found the most, you know, helpful and very empowering about about working with Break the Chain is because having that opportunity to to step into different roles and to try different things and learning, expanding your your repertoire of skills, mm-hmm. so that it, if in other collaborations, you know, like if somebody's looking for a sound person, and oh yeah, I've done, you know. I may not be, maybe I'm not like the sound design person. You're like the lead 
person you're looking for, but mm-hmm. like I could help with. I'm here for in a pinch if you need me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I will say that's one of the things I was really proud of about us as a team um, going through this process because obviously, like, there were days where like it was very passionate. <laughs> there were days where like tensions were very high mm-hmm. as we were all trying to sort out different things. And again, don't 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 apply an audition for grad school while you're making a show. Just, just don't, don't do. It. <laughs> It hurts. Oh, it was just so there are some days where you're just like, be a human to people. Please stay a human to people. Don't, because this person is about to ask you this question that you've told them the answer to ten million times. Do not scream at them. Don't tell them they're wasting your time. Just answer it and keep moving. And I'm glad you 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 bring that up because I have to say that's one thing that I've been learning a lot from. You know, I'm mean, watching you. Um, I know that being in, in in the rehearsal room in the in the and especially during tech, you know, because there's always tech. There's so much going on. There's multiple things going on at once. I keep saying this. I feel like that that title of that movie describes so much about production, just in general, like mm-hmm. everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, yeah. Because it really, really, it really is like. And I I was telling you all this as we were like doing um, lighting and sound. I was like, this thing is this this show is cued to how my ear hears because I, because. You all ask me to set the volume, le- the, the, tell me what the level is and if it's right. So it's literally set to how I hear it. And then the lights are set to how I see it and what I wanted to and what I want to highlight. And that's the part of directing that I just hadn't really thought about that, like it being through my filter means that all these other things are through my filter, which then also means that, like, your heart is on your sleeve even more. Because yeah. when you watch it and it feels like something doesn't work, you're like, I'm a failure. <laughs> like, you know, you have that little moment of like, no, but I mean, you have, but you have to have, you have to go through that to, to figure it out. And you know, the great thing about theater is that it happens the next night. So you can mm-hmm. go, you know, I saw the show yesterday and, um, let's never do that again. <laughs> oh, dude, the first couple of nights, we were all white knuckle in it in the back oh, row. God. Yeah. Because we had, um, <laughs> so we had, a few different um, designers for the show kind of fall through. We had we were looking for a lighting designer for so long. I sent so many emails, talked to so many people, and it just, for whatever reason, kept not happening. And at the very last minute, we got wonderful Anita Banks. Anita saved our asses. She really, she really did. Literally, the Tuesday before we opened, she and I sat in the theater from, like, 1 until the end of that rehearsal. Till like, 10, yeah. Till like, 10. And we just did all the light cues mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah, she saw the show, uh, saw a run through the night before. Mm-hmm. Then she came back the next day and was just like, "Okay, I have ideas." Yeah, and then she, I mean, literally lit the show. Yeah, in that, in in one day. In one like, day, and it's a very light, heavy show. Yeah, I mean, how many how many transitions were there? How many light cues? <laughs> well, um, so just to put this in context, the previous show at Matrix was, was a show called Swimming While Drowning by, by Emilio Rodriguez, and that show was two actors, and it had like four light cues and three sound cues. Yeah. And um, the designer of that show came to see the RNJ project. Um, Jeff came and was talking ju- to Juliana, our wonderful stage manager. We love Juliana. Who, who we're going to talk a Juliana. little bit more about. Um, but he, he came to Juliana and said, hey, Juliana, so how does this compare to the other show? And she said, Jeff, there are 72 cues. And I was like, I didn't know I made that many. But there were, there were 72 cues. That's it? 
That was just lights. Okay, that's what I thought. 72 cues of just lights. So that's not even counting sound, which means that there's probably at least 80 to 90 cues (laughs) overall. We had like 25 sounds somewhere in the ballpark of that. So we might be like, we might have had like 100 cues. I thought it was like 100 something. Yeah. And then you had the pre-show music stuff and then you had the intermission music and the post-show as well. So, I mean, we we were really ambitious we were yeah. really like we were because my thing is if don't make a show if you're not gonna go for it right don't do it if you're not gonna do it because yeah. it's too hard and too many people want to do this for you to get into the room and go eh, well maybe i'll just no, make the thing make yeah the thing. and like anita's wonderful but she's literally a trained lighting designer that too yes like you know this isn't just something that like she does for funsies to help out people like this is what she is trained to do she's also a very talented musician but that's another story for another day but she's amazing oh we're gonna talk about that um but um so i actually went to university with anita and we graduated literally sitting next to each other um and so thanks clark (laughs) no well at our university you Mm. just went up in whatever order but um She's one of the very few people that I still speak to from university because she is just a freaking wonderful person. And she was kept on saying that, you know, she's been out of the game for a hot minute. She had a couple of kids. She had twins. So not just a couple of kids. That's very, that's very. That's why I was like, okay, give credit where credit is due. She had twins and she is a single mom. Mm -hmm. And so she has been out of the game, as she said, for quite some time. So this was her first show back. So I really think that also for her, um, because she told me this, that it was really amazing to come back to. Uh, one a theater that she believes in mm-hmm. a show that speaks to her mm-hmm. and to just come back and be am- as ambitious mm-hmm. as she was I just I couldn't be more proud of her and I can't yeah. thank her enough yeah when you mentioned that about you know a, a show that really that really spoke to that really spoke to her I remember us having a conversation ar- around the same topic is especially for the closing weekend mm-hmm. Seeing the representation of different ethnicities, different gender identities yeah. in the audience, and to commenting on how unusual it was. Yeah, it was. It was you real know, weird. Like, um, seeing seeing the, the the mix of African American folks from from their from church, church, from church, and genderqueer youth from like high school or and college, Wayne State, yeah, Wayne State, yeah. Mm-hmm. and talking about the fact that I remember, I think Craig, you you had mentioned is. We're seeing these folks come to see the show because they are seeing themselves represented. Mm-hmm. It's speaking to them. And I think a lot of it was, a lot of the, the change was word of mouth, you know, because we, as we had mentioned before, you know, our first couple of weekends, my attendance was not as strong as we had hoped. There were marketing issues, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please note, Break the Chain Theater Company was not responsible for the marketing of the show. Thank you. <laughs> Little disclaimer at the bottom of oh, the. Oh yeah, I'm in charge of marketing. I'm not putting my name on that. <laughs> no, and it's 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 one of those things where um, we made this thing that we're proud of, and we made it for a specific community. You know, people from these different places who um, who don't get to be seen on stage very often, or if they do, it's through like a lens of whiteness, mm-hmm. or it's through you know, it's through or or if they're queer, it's through a straight lens, you know, and. One of the things in marketing is that if you're going to make stuff like that, you have to find, you have to market to that audience. Yes. You can't just um, go, well, I'm, I'll send it to all the same white people that show up mm-hmm. because that's not who it's for. And it's nothing against those white people. And they might come. And, you know, white people, if you pay to see shows, we, we, we cool. But yeah. um, there's just there's something to be said about having so many people of color 
and, and gender non-conforming people who also like came up to me after the show and were like, you know, one person like I think it was opening night. She came. She said, "I just I didn't know that it was going to be so black." <laughs> and she's like, "I just I was so shocked at how because that's not what I think of um, Romeo and Juliet as mm-hmm. being." And the point is that like these stories are for all of us, you mm-hmm. know. They're not just they're not just for the you know the the white folks that went to U of M and got right. you know PhDs and whatever whatever you know. There he wrote these things for the people on the ground and yes. the people up high, and then um, that's what we were trying to trying to make was something that uh, represented those people who don't who you don't see. And so in that you have to market it to the mm-hmm. to those people because as we now saw from that closing weekend, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. You know, if you put them and you if you put them on the poster, you know, put their names out when you do social media posts, you know, um, go, you know, if you're used to advertising at the same places, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. Because then you're just you're just preaching to the same choir um, to not not to extend the church metaphors out. So we found really that like unconventional marketing works. Quote, people, quote. Yeah. yeah. People didn't see my air quotes, but. Because it's not unconventional; it's just choosing to pay attention to your audience, right? Yeah, you have to you have to pay attention to the audience who the show is for. Everyone, when I say that we're running a theater company, they're like, "Oh, it must be so rewarding! It must be so awesome!" And like for a good portion of this, I was just like, "It's really not being rewarding." No, just to be completely transparent, it's just like, "No, this is just more stress." Yeah, all this is is stress right now. This is not rewarding. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And then finally, when people were showing up Mm. and we were fulfilling our mission statement for our theater, and I was just like, oh, hell, this just became rewarding. (laughs) We're doing exactly what we set out to do from the time that we started this theater company. We are putting a show together that is representing people who normally don't see see themselves on stage, and they're coming. Yeah. And really, for people listening to this who may have followed our journey through this, this shit is fucking hard. It's fucking hard. It's so hard. And it's so, I mean, not to pat us on the back or anything, no. but you have to be willing to get up every day and like do something for the, like do like, if you just read an article about what's going on in the arts, so you know, like just, you mm-hmm. have to be willing to do something every day towards the goal of making this thing happen. And it's just, it, it is, it's stressful. There are days where you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Yeah. It's so yes. like, yeah. you know, that person who's supposed to help me is not helping me. Mm-hmm. That person who I hired is not delivering the way I need them to deliver. And, you know, and, you think and it didn't hit me until again we had an audience in the room that like all of our hearts are were on that stage yeah it was it's such a vulnerable position and to think of like all the work that we put in to get up to this moment you know i had a moment where i was like could have really fucked this up huh <laughs> like but seriously like we you know we had we had a reviewer come and i was like you know this person could just write all kinds of horrible things about this. No one could ever hear about us again. (laughs) And thankfully that's not what happened, but like you're risking something, you know, just tying back to the ambitiousness of the project that we set out to create. And I heard a couple of people commenting, you know, from, from the audience about this is especially in the space that the show was at having, you know, stage combat. Yeah. Oh, you know, with full-on, which, I mean, at least, you know, in the last few years that I had had, had seen other shows in, in the Matrix theater space, I don't recall that they had something that called for that, you know, like mm-hmm. weapon props or stage combat in that space. 
Um, and there were a couple of people who, who had mentioned, who had commented on being surprised, not just at the the representation of the the black and the queer gender queer mm -hmm. community, but also the fact that it involved stage combat. Thirty three inches of steel. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's because that space is very difficult for combat. It very much is. You really yeah. can only go back and forth. It's just, it's just, it's just difficult. It's a difficult space, and yeah. we do our best. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And Alexis had to choreograph the fights for that space. And um, yeah, I know we talked about it a little bit on the previous episode. Was, was there anything else that like stood out to you about it? Like, especially going from um, it in rehearsal to it in performance. I mean, we struggled. Yeah. with the combat mm -hmm. and there's no real way to go around that sure um not only just with the combined space so we couldn't really get a very complicated or unique mm -hmm. with the fights which was kind of sad um we had to cut them down a lot because there just wasn't unfortunately the actors were so overwhelmed with everything that it, we just couldn't do the full extent of what i was wanting to do mm -hmm. Was it needed? No, probably not. But, you know, sword fight's a sword fight is a sword fight. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be fun. They're always going to be audience catching. Yeah. But I think something that was a struggle, and it's probably the one thing that I'm disappointed about in this whole process, mm -hmm. is seeing how it kind of devolved sure. from the first day to the last show. And, like, the performances were fine, but the fighting got very sloppy. Mm -hmm. And... It seemed like people were just trying, the actors were trying to tell a different story at that point. Because, you know, on opening night, after, you know, our contracts are done. The, it's the actor's show. They get to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But so, for me, it was almost a little disappointing. Whereas, some of the fights were perfect. Mm -hmm. And not not to take that away from the actors, who I absolutely was so proud of them. Especially Jalen, he got the disarm. Yes. And I was oh, so yes. proud of him. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, that, that, that moment, I mean, at it's least a great from, move. From, from, my, from my view... Every night that I was there, I just thought it was like the most badass moment in the whole show. I was like, so damn. proud of him. He yeah. struggled so hard in rehearsal. And the yeah. day he got it, I like freaked out I for remember. him. Yeah. And he's like, I got it. I was like, yes, you Jaylen did. Jalen worked so hard. He worked he, so hard. Oh, yes. And like, that's the thing is that they worked very, very hard. But then like even just witnessing a fight call and how it was all about laughing and joking. And I'm like, that's not what a fight call is. Yeah, we definitely learned. And I was telling you about this. And that's the other the other side of this that like doing this again in the future that I just want to think about doing better, which is um, there's a certain point at which you do have to give it over to the actors, yes. that you really do have to do that, but you also have to remind them what time it is, you know? Yeah, well, you it's really, not even yeah. just that, it's just what is a fight call? It's a fight call for you to run your counts mm -hmm. once, for you to run your fight. It's not for you to make jokes. Yes, it's not exactly. for you to have fun. It's not for any, it, this is a safety thing, and that, safety is like a number one thing for me as an intimacy coordinator and a stage combat yeah. choreographer. Safety is so important, yes. because I've seen it go so bad. I hadn't realized it had devolved into something so casual, and that is to no fault of our fight captain, might I add. Sure. I don't think that anything they would have done would have gotten it back on track the way it should have been. But it's just as someone who's so focused on safety, it was sad. Well, it's, you it's, know? Yeah, it's one of those things where, um, again, for like whatever the, whatever the next thing is, is that it's our job to set a culture yeah. and be really specific about the culture. And I think that there was, at least on my part, a lack of wanting to be super influential and be yes. hovering over people. Yes. But at the, so you have to have hold both things in your hand mm -hmm. in that I'm going to let you have this, but there's a culture here and you can't violate that work culture, right? You can't. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think I just want to make a bigger effort the next time yeah. I'm doing it these next few shows to set the to set that culture of no this is how we do this and yeah. you you don't come in here casually doing it because it's a part of keeping you safe and keeping the show what the show needs to be but the safety is first you cannot yeah. be casual about and it and that's my whole thing too is because I felt like that's where I dropped the ball is like not really explaining fight call or like what it should be because. As far as I'm aware, a lot of the actors said that they had been through fights and fight calls before. Sure. So I was like, okay, so I trust you. You're professionals. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's go. And then I was like, ah, I put too much trust. Well, and it was really kind of mostly, mostly the one of them that had probably the second least experience was pro- was the one that was really kind of installing that culture. And it was um, so there's a learning curve there that yes. like this is another thing that just learning in this process is that because we want to bring different voices and different people who haven't really gotten the shot to be on stage before. That means that the experience level that you're hiring is going to be different. Yes. And so um, there was more to teach people than I expected to have to teach people. Mm-hmm. And again, no fault of the actors. We picked them. And again, great job to them. It was a hard show. And they it was really, a very really, hard show. With the- like, worked really hard on it. But there's just stuff that they didn't know because they didn't know. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't because they were disregarding us or anything like that. It's because they just didn't, you know, had never done those things before. So that's another thing you have to take into consideration. So I'd say this to any theater company that says, we want more diversity, we want more this, this, and this, you might have to loosen some of your things about this person has to have this much experience or that much experience because the only way to create space for people is to allow people to come in at different experience levels, meet them where they are and help them grow through a process of making something. Yeah. And I think that fundamentally comes with potentially adding at least another week or two to rehearsal Yes, because I think we could have done so much better with another week, another two weeks Mm -hmm. because you know, all of our actors are very young, mm-hmm. but that's what we were exactly what we were going for. Normally, for anyone who does shows, especially for professional shows, you get like a tight four weeks, traditionally, <laughs> three, four weeks. Sometimes. Sometimes, when you take that chance on hiring newer actors, just think about if can you add another week? Yes. Because if you can, you should. Yeah. And like, I was so proud of some of these kids and I call them kids, but they're all in their 20s. They're all adults. They're just like slightly younger than me. Um, yeah, they're, they're only slightly younger than me and Maurizio too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to take you down with me. <laughs> I'm coming up on 35, Five, so listen. So listen. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's my thing is that like, I'm very, very proud of what they were able to do and especially like for the com- like the comedic sword fighting. I thought it was such a great little tidbit and like added so much to the show. Mm-hmm. But like gosh, do I wish I had like another 2 days with them. Yeah. And also just teach more. Like actually yes. teach technique cuz mm-hmm. we just didn't have time for that. Yeah. And I did my best to go as fast as I could, but like we needed another probably 10 hours just in choreo and technique. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing about being like, because I think one of the things I always say from the beginning is that the show should feel bigger than the room it's in, mm-hmm. right? It should feel like it's more ambitious than oh, it this could, one did. could be allowed. And um, with that came also being like, you know, the next show that we, the next full production that we do, we just want to make sure that we have the logistics to provide the support to make yes. things the way we want to make them. And part of that just comes from like, who are we partnering with? If mm-hmm. we're partnering with anybody, and, um, do we have our own space? Do, do we, we have, have to pay space? for our space? Yes. Um, what are our resources financially? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. To, because we want to allow for 
it's our job to put people in the position to do the best work they can. Yeah. And I think on this particular production, we were able to succeed in a lot of ways, but there were also resource things. There were also partnership things yeah. that really kind of stopped some of those things yeah. um, from happening. And I just, one of, one of at least my dreams for whatever the next thing we do is, is to make sure that... We are all not so much involved in the production capacity Mm -hmm. so that we can be the guardrails around a lot of those other things that we can come in and like if our director is having an issue, we can come in and say, hey, we don't do that here and give that person support Mm -hmm. as opposed to like me going, I do everything. I have to leave these people alone (laughs) because then it just creates that uh, second layer of tension. So, you know. Being like a real being like a company. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that we need to find that balance of is needing to jump in when we need to jump in mm-hmm. but then actually running like an actual theater company yes. and like getting and like hiring people and not just doing everything ourselves yes yes which i mean at this at, at this like beginning level is a lot of what we're gonna have to do right. as we're like building ourselves but <laughs> are we building a stage you know, I really wasn't going for the joke, but, you know, they were, as we're building a stage, yeah. I would love to get to speak what we feel with the actors, because I would love to hear their point of view on this whole <laughs> that thing. Be, that would be, yeah, that I would be I know I could get cast in Faith. Um, I think, I don't know if Jalen's out of town yet. I just want to be a fly in the wall in that conversation. And just hear, like, what? What were you thinking? Because I know we were trying very hard to make sure that, like, they were insulated from a lot of the things that we were dealing with before we got into the room. And um, that's why some there were some shows I got there. I was like, I love you all so much. I'm not watching the show today mm-hmm. because there's 10 other things I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go upstairs and solve a bunch of problems. Have a good show. <laughs> um, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I, I do want to hear... Yeah, I want to hear that, that side of it and Juliana's perspective. Oh my as well. god, yes, yes. Can we uh, let's talk real quick about Juliana? Let's brag about. Uh, we have so much to say. Good things about Juliana. Yes. Gonzalez. I love her so much. Yeah, Juliana was our stage manager on this production. She'll also be the stage manager of Love's Labor's Lost at Shakespeare Royal. As Love. she should be, because you know, I just, I just, she, if I'm making a show and she's around and can do it, she will be the stage manager. That's mm-hmm. how I feel at this point. Because one of the things you have to do in that job is you have to be calm. You have to be calm and you have to be willing to solve problems quickly. And Juliana just had a great way of going, hey, buddy, you don't have time. Or, hey, you might not have the resources for this. And it's being able to help somebody get where they're trying to go in a way that is not uh, punitive, that doesn't feel like you're being attacked or anything like that. And just keeping us, making sure that nothing is sort of flying off the handle. Yeah, because then it also opens me up to be able to do a bunch of other things, too. Yes. Because before Juliana, I was having to do stage managing things, which is fine because I'm a, I'm a stage manager. But if I'm doing the stage managing, I can't do anything else. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't have been able to do costumes. I wouldn't be able to do photography. I wouldn't mm. have been able to do stage combat like or intimacy coordinating. So it's just like... Which one are we going to prioritize? Mm-hmm. But also because Juliana is so amazing and she really does vibe really well with all of us. Yes, she's yeah. a wonderful person. Let's just keep her. Yeah, she definitely. There was one day where she definitely was like, "Craig, go get food. <laughs> just like go drink water. What are you doing? <laughs> it's time. It's time for the breaks. I know you're trying to. It's. T- I'm like, you're right, Juliana. You're right. And I think that it does that, that type of energy. It 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 goes a long way towards helping you be centered. 
and I'm only saying this because this this has been something that I've been living through the last couple of weeks trying to prepare for this short film is, you know, because you've got so much invested in it and because you like want are aware, as you said, that you're taking a risk, it can get so easy to get hung up on the details and to start over stressing mm -hmm. about things and to have not only someone, you know, who is like your right, right hand person and then who has your back, but to also have them show there's a solution for it. Maybe you're not seeing it right now, but... Mm -hmm. Take care of yourself, do what you need to do, and then we'll come back in, in troubles. Having that type of energy goes a long way to re reassure you and to keep yourself grounded so that you can yeah. continue to, to problem solve. Yeah, and would solve problems before I had even figured out they were problems. They'd be like, so, oh, that's right, we need to figure out that this person needs to get this thing over here. Like, this person's supposed to have a sword, but the swords were stage left, and they're coming on from stage right, and there's no way to... And Julianne would go... And she would just tell me what was going to happen. And I would go, okay, great. I can do something else now. And she's like, yes, go do something else. And I think what makes Juliana so amazing is that she's not a part of this little, like, a founder founder for this. Because, mm -hmm. like, anytime Craig and I try to be, like, director, stage manager, we just have our our banter and everything that is just not professional. And we stop ourselves. We do go, you know what? We're not doing the thing right now. But, like, but. <laughs> but how many disclaimers did I have to be like, no, really, Craig and I really like each other. We're best friends. He's at my wedding party. It's fine. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> that should be uh, building a stage um, drinking game. How many times does Alexis have to add a disclaimer? Any final thoughts about the show or about hopes for the next show that we do? Anybody? I think just in general, adjusting some of those details that we that, that we talked about in terms of like setting the, the culture, mm -hmm. looking ahead to like, see, do we need to add some additional time for rehearsal, you know, to, to, to work with the people that, that we are working with? And just continue to, to to build on that. I think not letting the the risk be something that discourages you from from trying it, as you said, from 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 trying the thing, and then once it's done, you can reflect on what worked, what didn't work, so that the next time it works even better. Yeah, and I think the whole point of this podcast is that, like, hopefully, even if it's the one person listening, we know who you are. <laughs> Is that we're doing all these things and we're trying to share as much information as we can so you don't have to struggle with the same things that we are. Because that's the whole point of this is that we're just trying to share the information that we are learning because we are in the front lines oh doing our damnedest. Yeah. And we're going to make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. Mm -hmm. You know, 12, 13 hour days are going to be normal. Yeah. And it's just what information have we gathered that we can share with all of you so that we can at least either prepare you <laughs> or make it easier or something. I'm really proud that we really carried this thing from start to finish, that we just as a team were able to just go, okay, that thing's not happening. I'm going to pick up the ball and take care of it, um, which happened a lot more than we were anticipating. Or should have. Um, or, yeah, or should have had to do, but, you know, such is life at this point. Um, this was, the stakes were so high for us that we needed to do it. The stakes were much higher for us than a lot of other people that were involved. And I think that's important to put out there. That's fair. Yeah. I just have so much um, gratitude for everybody who came on. And uh, because, I mean, this was also like my crazy, stupid little idea in my bedroom, you know. Um, and no one has to do your crazy, stupid idea from your bedroom. And it just it was really touching to me oh god damn it um, it was really touching to me to see every person come in and like be passionate about it be excited about it be like care enough about it to like come to me with issues yes um and so we could have discussions um so i'm just i'm grateful for every person that like that touched this thing 
and every person that came to see it, I just I had so many people like who came up to me and were like, you know, I never understood this play like this before. I didn't know it could. I didn't know that it was like mod. It could be modern. I didn't know all the things. And then we had one person who was like, you know, I didn't. I don't. I didn't think I needed to hear all the transgender stuff, but you know, it's but it was a good part of the show. And I'm like, you know, we'll take it. We'll take it. That's a little bit of. So it moves me a lot to. Uh, to hear all that stuff from everybody and um i'm just i just have the biggest biggest uh, amount of gratitude to all the to all the people that came in on this for our next show i'm really really hoping that we create the system to be able to invest in somebody else's vision yes um that we really can create the infrastructure yes. that's the word yes. to um support whether it's you know some a director who has a crazy show they want to do or a writer who's like i've got this new thing that's really important to me and is you know and making it so that it's not just us on the front lines of everything that we're really giving other people a chance going forward. And I would hope that the next thing we, that we can come back to you all and be like, here's a season, you yeah. know, not just like a one off show, but here's a season. So um, that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for and hoping for next about this uh, about this whole thing. Um, we did mention earlier Drunk Shakespeare's coming back. Yeah, yeah. I'm flipping away from the emotional thing now. We are going to be at Matrix Theater April 22nd at eight o'clock. Yes. Eight o'clock. And we're doing As You Drink It. You'll see more uh, advertisements about that stuff going forward. It's in person. You can be in the room or online. Yes. Yes, because yes. we will be streaming and on in person so because this is a fundraiser. It's a fundraising event. This is yes. to make sure that we can continue to have dreams and being able to tell stories yes. of people that need to have their stories told. Yes. And so you, you'll be able to find out much more about it by heading to our website, following us on all the social media, all the socials media. Um, Specifically, <laughs> Facebook and Instagram are going to be your best places. And then hopefully we'll have some fun ticky talks. Yes. So that's that's what's next for us. I'm Craig, Alexis Grace, Maurizio. Thank you all so much for listening to Building a Stage. And join us this Saturday, April 22nd at Matrix Theatre Company for As You Drink It, our first in-person drunk Shakespeare fundraiser. Yeah, thank you. 